And go with your ready. Two, one. What's up, guys and gals, Industry 4.0 community. Thank you guys so much for being here. It's so excited to have you here on our weekly live Q&A. Quick reminder, don't forget to subscribe and turn on bell notifications because we go live every Tuesday at noon Central Standard Time where we're answering the community questions. I mean, this is driven by you guys and gals, the Industry 4.0 community. We just crossed a thousand members in our Discord server. There's a link Hello. below where you, where you can sign up for that. We have a member of our community here today, Mario. Welcome. Thank you, Zach. Thank you, Paul. So uh, for those of you guys that are new to the stream here, we have this first 15 minutes to feature a member of our community. And then after that, we'll be able to answer your questions, which we have about eight to 10. So we have a lot of questions to get to today. But Mario, why don't you introduce yourself and share with us uh, a little bit about yourself and then we'll get into uh, some later questions. Okay. So my name is Mario. I, I am Brazilian. I live in Brazil, in the south of Brazil. And I started working with uh, industrial automation when I was 17 years old. So I started, I, I, did a, I did a technical degree in electronics and it was in the high school. And there I, I learned in to, how to program to code, but also learned um, a lot of things about not only electronics, but in automation. So I have programmed my first PLC there. And also we learned to, to program some to some SCADA systems there. And from there, I started looking a lot to work with SCADA systems. And I have, I managed to get an intern job in a company, uh, a Brazilian company. They have, they are actually the, the biggest in the market, uh, in the SCADA market in Brazil, it's called Ellipsy. And I worked with them for two years. I worked with support. So I, I uh, there I could uh, support teams and people from all kinds of industries. It was a, a great time. But I wanted to learn to, to how to program better. I wanted to go on this career. So I moved from, from um, Sao Paulo to the south of, of Brazil, uh, where I studied computer science, basically, is actually information systems. Is a, so I got my bachelor degree in, in software. And while in there, I, I also worked with MES, SPC, traceability as um, intern jobs. And, and after that, after finishing my, my college, uh, we have started meet, uh, with, a, with a colleague, an integrated company, system integrated company, but focused in SCADA systems. So we believed that um, SCADA systems were being uh, not so well programmed by a lot of engineering companies, and we believed that uh, there was a lack for a software, a really a software company to to do this job. So, I have stayed with this company for 14 years, and I've learned a lot about SCADA. We worked a lot with uh, power companies. This company is is still still going pretty well here in Brazil. And then I I was also very interesting. I'm interested about big data and analytics and there were some projects we were working on this company but then i decided to take a new challenge to learn more to put new things that i was studying and there is where I came back iot so the founding member is, which is my friend cristiano he lives in portugal uh, in lisbon is where is our headquarters 
we have met in 2017 and he, he wanted to, to create some something different for the industry with a great design and something more practical not something that would take like uh, months or years to be deployed and there is how PEC-IoT came using new technologies uh, IoT technologies new analytics technologies so we created our entire framework first focused on the packaging industry to help these companies to be, to be more efficient. And as you and the audience pretty well know, uh, I can explain better. We say we are not an MES and we don't want to be an MES. We are solving uh, the problems that the MES solves, which is basically the efficiency, the OE. So, but instead of taking like six months or one year for an entire project, and then you have your OE, we can have this uh, being shown to, to, to our customer in two days, uh, sometimes in just a week. Awesome. So how are you guys able to achieve that? Oh, and quick shout out. Hey, Dan. Hey, Hanno. Welcome, Emil. Uh, Zach Wooten. Fernando said, well done, Mario. Thank you, guys. So Thank how are you. you able to achieve oh, that? Fernando, Fernando is my, my colleague there. <laughs> nice. Yeah. Awesome. So basically, uh, I can say we achieved that because uh, we are focused on, on one part of the problem. So as I said, the OE, uh, we need to have access to, to the, the customer PLC, or we can also provide a PLC, but our focus is not on hardware. And basically, with, with this PLC and our gateway deployed uh, on the site, we can have this information going to the cloud. So our our software is a software as a service and on the cloud. Our focus is on small and medium companies uh, that know pretty well what is a what is a MES, but they never had the budget to, to get one. Although we, we also have some large customers uh, on our portfolio. And I, I'd say also uh, to, to your question, to achieve that, there's one, one analogy I like to say, it's not part of our pitch, but I'd say just PEC-IoT is just like Slack, you no? Know? You, you take that the part of it that's just the simple communication and solve it pretty well. That's what we are doing. Excellent. I love it. So um, Cheryl said, it's nice to hear Mario share it in his own voice. Thank you, Cheryl. Thank you for joining. Uh, Thank you, Cheryl. So, um, how has been being a member of the mentorship program and the new mastermind program now, how has that influenced your personal skills? And second, how has it, if at all, changed the roadmap of PAC IoT and your guys's, your overall IoT strategy? Okay, that's good. Well, uh, I've been learning a lot with mentorship and I'd say the most, the, the biggest benefit I got are the so for me, it's amazing to be part uh, of a global group of like-minded people, uh, people like you, like Vaughn, uh, Walker, Ben. So for me, this is very important because as Walker also mentioned sometimes, uh, we are not mainstream. Uh, it's not easy for people to understand what we do. And we, in this group, we can, we can talk to each other at, in a very high level, which is great. Um, so for me, the, 
the biggest factor is the connection. And but regarding technical, yeah, I, I think some technical questions, some some things that I had the opportunity to ask to to Walker especially were some things that helped me to think forward about PEC-IoT. So we are constant as a SaaS product, software as a service, we are constantly improving it. And we are and as a, as a company is still very young, we are still understanding the market. We're still understanding the needs of our customers. So several of the inputs I had, several of the questions I made on, on, the, on the public area, mentorship or mastermind, are usually some, some, something that I would take uh, immediate benefit from. So in, in rethinking the architecture, rethinking the roadmap of the product. Awesome. Yeah, that's our goal is to help you guys do more, help manufacturers do more with less. So if we can you know, help you guys just a little bit, even if it's one or 2% overall, you know, our goal is to help save and create middle-class jobs here in the United States, but globally we can have a bigger impact through you guys. So uh, one question well, I, just, I forgot to mention also is that PackageT uh, is actually a, a global company. So Beautiful. since we started focusing on in the, in the packaging market and in some specific niches, uh, it wouldn't make sense for us to focus on the, on the Portuguese market or only the Brazilian market. So we have customers all over, all over the world. Awesome. Um, at the end, I do want to ask how people can learn more about working with PackOut But um, I, one question I do have, you know, you do say that you guys have global, uh, you work in the global market. Uh, obviously, the Discord server industry 4.0 is a global phenomenon. But what are you seeing in your local market that is unique in industry? So in the Brazilian market, what are you saying that is unique to the challenges that you're facing there? Well, yeah, that's a good question. I don't think there's something like a technically speaking that's unique, uh, but I think one problem currently with the situation of COVID and several companies are being affected. Usually the manufacturing companies are still running as, as usual. But one thing that affected, I think, is uh, the access to to imported technologies because the exchange rate between uh, real and, and dollar it's, it's got very, very confused. It's, it's skyrocketed. So, for example, to try new technologies like uh, some equipments, like we mentioned all the time, like uh, the Epic group up to 22, this kind of things that they don't still have like a big distributor is still very expensive. Mm. So I think this is is affecting the uh, industry 4.0 in the sense of imported technology. So, oh, interesting. So that we have, we still have work to do on distributing some of these products that we're talking about on a global yeah you know? yes yes some 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 companies they produce even plcs here in brazil there are even some local brands but some okay. some things that are quite new is very expensive what are Too what far. are the most common industries that you work in in brazil well uh, our our focus is not actually brazil uh only but but here in brazil our our main clients, they make uh, plastic and aluminum tubes. So basically, for example, 
plastic tubes or laminated tubes for toothpaste and oh. and aluminum tubes for for like uh, medicinal creams and uh, aerosol cans for example okay and if you had to pick um anywhere a specific industry that is like what what vertical would you be able to um say is like the one you work on work with the most yes that's that's for tubes plastic and aluminum tubes but we we are working with you, even uh, across products across already the like food and beverage or yes. is it manufacturing yes 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 uh, we have customers in hungary in switzerland canada united states beautiful um, does, uh, I want to ask the community, if you guys have any questions for Mario, leave it in the chat now. Uh, Vaughn, do you have any questions for Mario? Um, I think I'm good to go. Um, I do want to say, um, I do want to thank you again, Mario, for joining us and taking the time out of your day. I know you're a busy guy, so, um, you've always been very engaged with us and, and interactive on discord and. I don't know if I can think of any meeting that we've that we've ever had that Mario hasn't attended. So thank you for taking the time. I have a question. Go how ahead. Can people, how can people reach out to you and learn more about Pack IoT or just get connected with you? Okay. Uh, it's Mario at packiot.com, my email, and the website's packiot.com. Just like pack from packaging and IoT. Awesome. Packiot.com. And I'm on LinkedIn also. Feel free to connect with me. Sweet, sweet. Nice. Thank you. You're and uh, yeah, so actually, I had a, a quick shout out for uh, Jeff Nepper, who uh, gave, you know, we, we wanted to thank him again for showing up last Friday, being a special guest instructor for our mastermind program. Uh, the mastermind program, you guys all know, happens to be the sponsor of this weekly live show. That's how we make this possible. But Jeff actually um, gave anyone in our mastermind program access to like a development license, essentially like a one-year development license. And I heard that Mario, you reached out and took advantage of that. So um, thank oh, you Jeff, yeah. for not only the time, but also empowering our mastermind um, community to be able to actually work with these products and build these uh, industry 4.0 solutions. So thank you, Jeff. Thank you, Mario. Thank Absolutely. you. Thank you. All right, guys. And uh, we're looking for uh, next week. Actually, we're going to have Dan, Dan Riken on the community spotlight. But if you guys want to join, definitely be active in the community discord. We're looking uh, to you guys to, you know, come share your story and get involved with the community because that's what it's all about. It's going to help accelerate the mission. So thanks, yes. Mario. All right. So um, today we do have some questions for you. So let me get into that right now. So here's the, uh, I did do uh, a little um, presentation. Let me see. Present. So our first question is from John McKeon. So John asked, hey all, does anyone know of a wireless USB dongle solution that can be deployed to connect a PLC to a machine wireless network? not limited to Wi-Fi. He wants to be able to use long range WAN or other um, things also considered. Let me pull up 
the Discord here. So a couple of people did chime in. Um, I was in wireless. So let's see, I pinned it here. Yeah, jump. So um, Matthew Paris chimed in and he asked about using a standalone wireless bridge, um, but that wasn't gonna work for him. Um, I also tagged, I tagged um, PX, PXC Auto JSM because he does work for Phoenix Contact because I know Phoenix does have a lot of wireless solutions. He suggested upgrading the PLC. So I, you know, I just kind of wanted to bring this question to the spotlight, trying to understand a little bit more about what's John's use case for being able to have a wireless USB dongle solution that can be deployed to connect to a PLC or a machine on a wireless network. So if anyone has a solution for that, drop it in the wireless. I just wanted to highlight that um, because a couple of people did chime in, but we don't necessarily have like a specific answer. So um, moving on. This one we do actually have an answer for. <laughs> uh, it's in the security tab. Andy R asked or said, our first nudge away from Rockwell Automation, RA, they are stripping out panel views from the next project because they run on Windows CE, Compact Edition, and it's too much work to make them meet this client's cybersecurity requirements. So in the security tab, I pin that here. Uh, so Walker actually did answer. Uh, he suggests that he would replace panel views with Factory Studio, Ignition Edge, or the Maple Systems CMTS VR. All of these are going to be IoT ready and speak Sparkplug B, MQTT, or vanilla MQTT out of the box. Uh, John McCann said, okay, you lost me. PV, yes, uh, panel views. A lot of people are replacing these panel views, not only because of the cost, but as... Andy mentioned the Windows CE is like becoming a maintenance liability to meet these security requirements. So I wanted to kind of bring it to your guys' attention, you know, showing, you know, what JS said here. Yeah, those old PVs and everything else running on Windows CE are a huge problem. It's comical how long products have been shipping with the OS long after it was abandoned. Yeah. From an investment and security perspective, it was basically unethical to sell that stuff throughout most of the last decade, yet they still continue to do it. The PanelView 5000 series runs on Linux. Uh, these use Studio 5000, i.e. View Designer, rather than Factory Talk View. These integrate with the alarm instruction sets, UDTs, AOIs, et cetera, on the newer control logics, compact logic controllers. The PV Plus line of products will be ported over to Windows 10 IoT. They will be called something like PV plus seven performance. Proface, uh, they make panel, panels. Uh, SP5000 is a pretty flexible and economical HMI. Yeah, I've heard, th I've heard good things about Proface. Proface has a ton of drivers. They work particularly well with robots. Ignition Edge is a really solid option for HMIs. The visualization modules, vision and perspective are pretty hard to beat. Um, also, the ability to write your own transmitter. You can do that with Ignition. We did that, um, you know. Also, because it's not running a proprietary distribution of an OS, it'll be much, it'll probably be easier to lifecycle and secure. Patching an OS or replacing an industrial PC is a lot easier than replacing an entire HMI. 
Um, and then it kind of goes on here. So, um, and shout out to Ben too, for being super active. Ben has also been experimenting with using tablets as HMIs. Um, and he's asking, how are you dealing with the wireless nature and the fear, which he tends to think is justifiable that the connection to the machine will be occasionally lost and the issues can arise from that. This is something that I've thought about for like a long time is like, when will machines not necessarily have like a local HMI, but it'll just be a wireless tablet solution. And maybe like the e-stop will be a physical button, but everything else will go virtual. I mean, as long as Ben Venema, who's in, you know, in an engineering role has says that the, the that it's a justifiable fear, then it's going to continue to be an issue. But I think, um, you know, I think th there is something to be said about being able to go to an HMI on a machine and just be able to, you know, punch it in, but we got to be able to have solutions that are maintainable. And so that's kind of what Andy's bringing up here is, Hey, look, these solutions that our manufacturers are shipping are out of date for security policies, their maintenance liability. We need a better solution. So thanks. Uh, thanks for bringing that up, Andy. I appreciate that. You guys can check out the security tab if you want to read more on that. Uh, in the machine learning tab, this is a really good question. Paul Hine asked, how does someone assess the machine learning capabilities of a company? What types of questions bring about insights? That was in machine learning. So this is a really good question. Now, now I would almost kind of say, Paul, if you're working with a company and you're assessing their machine learning capabilities, you're kind of almost getting the court before the cart before the horse here. You kind of want to take a step back and assess their entire company and where they are at on their digital transformation uh, and give them a digital mat maturity score. What this involves, like the way that we do it is we assess. So we have our digital transformation maturity assessments, which is a five day engagement with five core meetings with five core groups of a, of a company, executive leadership, operations, engineering, quality, and an IT department. We get together with those, uh, with those groups and we have a series of 23 questions and we have a series of questions that we ask each group. One of those is how are you leveraging currently machine learning to do your job? And the next one would be, how do you see leveraging machine learning to do your job? Now, everyone's going to have their own answer and none of them are wrong. I think that's the thing is just by getting together with those groups and understanding what software they're using to do their job currently and what problems they're facing, machine learning is, and in the unified namespace is, is almost always the answer. So it's just a matter of getting together with not just their IT group, which would be kind of in charge of their AWS or their machine learning initiative. So we would definitely talk, we would dive deeper on those platforms in the IT group meeting, but we would ask all of the key stakeholders in the company, how, what software they're currently using to do their job and how are they using machine learning to do their job. With that information, we can develop a roadmap that incorporates all of the key parties problems that they're facing in their current softwares. How can we architect a solution that brings all of those together into a unified namespace and puts them on the path towards the manufacturing industry holy grail, which you guys can watch that video here if you want to know what that is. 
but essentially it's a fully integrated business made up of digital factories with the end goal of having a fully closed loop integration from the point of when a customer orders a product, that product gets shipped out to manufacturing execution system all the way down to the edge, getting run on the production line, getting uh, put into the inventory, going through shipping, warehouse management system, all the way to the end customer and reporting back to the CRM that yes, the customer was happy and here's actually feedback on how to make the next production run even better. That is the manufacturing holy grail. That's that's so that is how we would assess the machine learning capabilities is through the through what we call a digital transformation maturity assessment. And we would get an entire roadmap. We would develop a roadmap for architecting their strategic solution, which would include machine learning and AI. It's a great question. I actually really wanted to have Walker in on this one. We'll have him chime in next week. But that's that was can that's you, what I would do. Can I add something, Zach? Yeah, shoot. Uh, also, so I, I would add from what you say, uh, it's important that you have a problem that you that, that you can measure, that you can you can see it happening. For example, if you want to predict downtime or failure, uh, if you if you are capable of monitoring all the variables that involve this this failure, and when the failure is happening, then you you will have material to to train your 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 model, your machine learning model. Yes. You reminded me of one Walker would say when he's in a meeting and we're, we're trying to prove the value of digital transformation. He'll ask a group, what's a problem? He'll ask everyone, think of a problem you've been trying to solve for like ever. And digital transformation is putting in the platform to be able to solve that problem in like 10 minutes. And so, you know, to your point, being able to solve or predict a failure that they didn't even think was possible gets them to start thinking, thinking differently. So that starts yeah. opening that conversation. Great question, Paul. Thank you. I, we, we are going to follow up on this one. Jobin in MES said, Hey, Hey everyone, this is Jobin here. I am an automation engineer who has experience in PLC, HMI, SCADA, Rockwell automation and wonderware. Welcome to the gang. Could someone please help me from where I should start to upgrade my carrier from a PLC SCADA development to MES 4.0 developer? Great question. So uh, let's see. It's in the MES channel. A lot of a lot of you guys chimed in. Um, basically, you're in the right spot. Uh, Mario, actually, you answered mentorship or mastermind would be the first would be a good step. Also, you could start with a free IIoT mini course. By joining the Discord server, you're already in the right spot. Uh, but what I was saying, I was actually saying this to Vaughn earlier. Rather than going and buying like an off the shelf, like MES, uh, like let's say, so he wants to be able to develop, like develop your own MES software, right? Go through the mentorship program. And once you have a solid understanding of SQL, Python, and IIoT platforms, you can, I would recommend building your own MES um, framework, right? Walker says all the time that after he built MES 4.0 for like, he built the cost of, he built MES 4.0 for like what the cost of the modules would have been or something initially uh, off the shelf, third-party module supplier in the industry. Um, 
so I would recommend doing that. So like you could join the mentorship program, learn Python, SQL, you know, do a little bit of research on what is OEE, how do I calculate OEE and try to build an MES just by going through that process. You're going to learn so much and you'll be able to, at the end of it, have, have a, a working product, right. That you can kind of build on, or, you know, we don't really market this that often, but we do sell the MES 4.0 modules and like the price of the server is like, you know, I think it's like $10,000. So it's unlimited. Whereas other, other solutions are kind of like marketed, um, like per, per the site or, you know, per, per this machine, it gets pretty expensive. I was actually talking with someone in mastermind this week. They were saying, you know, I was evaluating MES modules for, uh, ignition got and as you start to scale that out across five or six or 10 sites, it starts to get cost prohibitive. So I was like, Hey, you know, I would, I would develop my own MES, right? I, I actually did develop my own MES in WinCCOA. Um, and it was backed by SQL. And I'll actually show you guys the, uh, I'll show you guys the uh, website that I, that I used to uh, this website right here. That's how I, this website, OE.com uh, is a really good resource. It's made by a company called Vorn, which I've never heard of, but other than just this website. So I'm not, this is not an endorsement for them, but I did find this as a really helpful resource that just by going through understanding what is a availability, it's availability equals runtime divided by planned production time. Well, what is planned production time? It tells you that you can build out your own simulation and even just using a memory tag in ignition, you could toggle a memory tag to simulate a, a machine switching states, build out your own MES dashboard, um, build out your own MES. That's what I would do. And a lot of people have you, a lot of us, a lot of you guys have been asking like, how do I build MES or how do I implement MES? Understand it. Don't buy an off the shelf solution, understand how MES and how OEE work fundamentally understand how our, how the architecture will allow you to scale leveraging the UNS. And then when, when the time is right, then go talk to pack IOT and drop pack IOT into the ecosystem or, you know, go get, get, get it, build your own MES, drop that into the ecosystem or what have you, but don't just go buy an off the shelf MES without actually knowing how everything works from the ground up. And so people that are in our mentorship program, will have the skill set to be able to build their own MES. They'll have the Python skills, they'll have the SQL skills, and they'll have the understanding to be able to do that. And in fact, step two, I think we, we, go, we go a little deeper into MES. So you're in the right spot. Um, you can join the waiting list for the mentorship program. We're going to open it up later this year. Or you can join Mastermind at any time, and you, you get a backdoor access to the mentorship program with that. So. Um, or just, you know, continue to, to watch our videos, develop your, and, and just get hands-on with the technology. Uh, Mario asked in user experience, React versus Blazor. Thoughts? Mario, uh, do you want to chime in here? Um, yes, uh, I think one of the big challenges um, when you're trying to use uh, web tools, web programming, is to... You don't have that low code approach that you have in a SCADA system. So, so which one to choose? I recently I, I started hearing a lot about Blazor and WebAssembly, 
So that's why I placed this question there because React is much more popular. And uh, uh, what I also wanted to bring is the, the point of support because uh, Microsoft is famous for keeping the products very well supported for some time. And I was reading the, the keep for at least three years and for React, I think it's 18 months. So something to consider uh, when you're talking about uh, industry and manufacturing plans. So maybe you, you do some update that we will not work in an HMI, for example, that's, that's not good. Let me go over that channel. That's in the user experience channel. Um, Walker did chime in. He said react for him. Um, yeah. Well, let me read Ricardo's response here. He said it's pretty difficult to choose, impossible to say which one is best. He ended up choosing Vue for a project because he tried and liked the Vue-tify framework. I would recommend choosing what integrates best with your most common tooling ecosystem. For those who do a lot of C-sharp and Microsoft stuff, then Blazor can be an adequate choice. However, JavaScript is more a natural fit for web development. I agree. React and Vue are the easiest choices, or the easier choices. I actually know someone who did a Vue application in lieu of like doing a perspective. They actually had Ignition as their IoT platform, but they built Vue on top of that. Okay. Plugged it in the UNS. Angular is not so popular as React has a steeper learning curve, which requires TypeScript. I think it should be considered in some special cases. Vue 3 has some interesting break, breaking changes. This can be a problem. I agree with you, Mario. For long-term support, there's nothing like Microsoft. Yeah. In Angular, for example, it changed so fast that even the people that works creating frameworks and templates, they, they don't even have time to keep them, their frameworks updated. So. And yeah, it, that it, would be annoying. There's huh? backward, uh, there's no backward compatibility sometimes, so that's a problem. Okay. Very cool. Um, I wrote in, I wrote in here. All all input is error unless it's a game, and Elon Musk said this regarding the new Model S. Have you guys seen the new Model S updates? No. Let's pull it up. I think this is this is uh it's kind of crazy, but uh um I think it I think it's relative because we could apply the same principle to HMIs or SCADA systems. I want to see they they changed the steering wheel. I want to see if I get a picture of the steering wheel. Yeah, so this is what it'll look like here. I don't know if you could see that. So one of the major updates is they kind of turned this display on its side. It used to be kind of portrait. Now it's landscape. <laughs> makes makes sense. Um, and then the steering wheel is kind of like this. But if you notice, what's missing is, is the lack of a gear shift. There's no gear shift in the middle or on the tree. And it's intentional. The car actually chooses gears by itself. You'll ask, well, how does that happen? Well, it's very simple. Just by using the cameras, it's able to see its environment. And, you know, it's a three-year-old could determine which way you want to go forward or backwards in most cases. You know, if you're in a parking garage, you probably want to back out, right? If it's, if it's ambiguous, you park in a parking lot and then you can go forward or backwards. It'll basically default to the inverse of whatever the last one you ended in. So if you pulled into a spot, it would default to backing out of the spot. 
and then if it if then it still gets it wrong then you can swipe on the screen to like change from forward to backwards or whatever and so that's what elon musk said is like all user input is error unless it's a video game so basically he's saying if you have to tell a car to do something like if you actually have to tell it hey i'm going to work right now then the car made an error in predicting that you were going to work it should know that already it should know yeah. what and and down to even the point of it should know whether or not you want to go in forward or backwards especially if it's expected to drive its darn self where the steering won't will won't be needed in the next iteration yeah. so how in can we, case, we should we should make the operator lives easier not uh, yeah. more complicated yeah. like when they log in they basically see nothing unless there's something wrong <laughs> yeah but anyways uh i thought that was uh, interesting um let me share this. All right. And I got also I'll link below a free packaging OEE calculator that uh, Pac Mario's company, PacIoT, shared. It's a dashboard that, you know, as you're building out your own, let's say you're building out your own OEE framework, you want to crunch some numbers, download their free spreadsheet, and you can kind of see the formulas and stuff and kind of you know, make sure that what you're calculating in Python is, is accurate. So thanks for sharing that, Mario. You're welcome. This is a little presentation I was kind of working on, you know, this, this is, this you guys have probably recognized from the why your IOT strategy will fail video. Uh, but I also kind of expounded upon it. You guys will see this in a video later, uh, working on it right now. Uh, this, I do want to share, this came up in unified namespace. Uh, let's see. So I, 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 right here, I'm actually showing, this is kind of off top or it's a bit of a tangent, but it's, I want to share this because what was really cool this week was a lot of people were sharing their own unified namespace architecture drawings, like a half a dozen of you shared your own architecture drawing. And it was really cool because each time it got a little bit better and then someone would say, oh, like, well, how does ERP plug into that? Well, um, someone asked, you know, how does, how does an edge node, like how would you architect it? You know, does the edge node have the entire enterprise unified namespace? Is it, a, is it just a publisher of data or is it a, both a publisher and a consumer of data? So here I showed how over here on the inventory side, we, we have like an older PLC, maybe it's just an edge gateway, a PLC and an edge gateway that is just publishing into the unified namespace, it's tags. It's not, it's not subscribing to any data in the unified namespace. So I kind of show it here as gray. It's just publishing tag one, tag two. Here in the finishing line, I kind of broke it down. Uh, this has a, an array of PLCs and these PLCs kind of need to share data. Now it's not like high speed data that you would want to use, like, I don't know, a CAN bus or some high, or, you know, Profi bus high speed network between these two, but it's, it's where you'd want to maybe share some data, you know, between these two PLCs, like what, what the part number is that you're working on or things of that nature. These PLCs can publish data into a, a little local unified namespace where I put it here in lowercase. And they can be publishing and subscribing to each other's data. So here you'll see each of these PLCs will have the finishing line local UNS. It's, and then uh, PLC1, PLC2, and PLC3 data. 
then this UNS, which you know could be like, let's say on a, oh, let's go back here. This UNS then publishes into the cloud broker. So these PLCs are publishers and subscribers to data in this UNS, but then this UNS just publishes it to the enterprise UNS. And then over here on the left, we have an example of this paint line, which is publishing, it's, it's a smart PLC. And you'll see here, this PLC is a little bit bigger because it, it actually has the UNS on board. And this is really the future of where we see our, OE, our IIoT devices and our PLCs and our HMIs, like things like the CMTS VR, they'll have a UNS on board or like a Raspberry Pi, you can have a UNS on, the, on, on that device. So it has its tags available in its namespace here in the paint line PLC. It's publishing its tags into this UNS and then it's publishing from the onboard UNS into the enterprise UNS, but then it's also subscribing to the other enterprise data, including the finishing line and the inventory line shown here in orange. So now why you want to do that is because you'll see here, and this is something like that Tesla would do is they would take that paint line, finishing line, inventory line, and they would just, they would build the architecture up. They would, the tree would, you know, it's like a, a tree. So here we have Fremont factory. Here we have the Gigafactory one, Gigafactory N. They all have their own site level and UNS. And then that publishes into the enterprise UNS. So you, can real easily see how an operator from the Fremont factory could see and get value out of edge data on the fifth gigafactory that Tesla builds. This, this is why this architecture matters. That's why we keep talking about the Tesla and stuff because they're the ones actually doing it and then Amazon. And then he, we'll take it one step further is over here. You'll see not only this is where Tesla takes it one step further. You, you, you know, a lot of companies may have industry 4.0 technologies, but they're not fully integrated through the production layer. And they're definitely not integrated out into the, into the real world, into where the customer gets their product on their hands. And, and we were talking a lot about this with Ira Sharp, shout out Ira, where OEMs are going to be publishing, putting their machines out into other manufacturers, and they're going to be benefiting from that data. They're going to be the, the manufacturers and OEMs of the future, like Tesla, will be producing data. They'll, they'll be producing equipment, and then that equipment will give continuous feedback to then they can produce better equipment. So you got this fully closed loop integration of your business. That's the manufacturing holy grail. You can't achieve that without a unified namespace architecture. So that's, that's kind of what I wanted to share there. Uh, let me go over here. Here's the question. Okay. Um, so Matthew Paris asked, we'll move on here. He's starting Frameworks University. Congrats. Awesome. Um, we'll leave a link below to join FXU if you have not already. He wanted to know, does Tatsoft provide Docker containers for Factory Studio? He's been using inductive automations containers and they're nice to get up and going quickly. Yes, we agree. Uh, I don't have an answer to this question. 
Um, I imagine if Tatsoft doesn't have it already, then they they should be working on it. But in step two, in our mentorship program, we're going to be going through actually building out your own Docker image. Walker has said before, we're getting into Docker deployment in step two, which is pretty advanced. Uh, so that's awesome that you're leveraging that, Matthew. Thanks for asking that question. Ready asked in step one training, is there a free version of Windows 10 that I can download for VirtualBox? Uh, the answer is yes, and uh, we'll show you guys here. Um, someone shared like actual steps on how to actually do that. That was really cool. Uh, let's see. Yeah, Andrew chimed in with steps on how to actually do it, on how to download a Windows 10 ISO without the media creation tool. Uh, so if you're in a mentorship program and you're working on your step one practical, which we released last week. Um, you know, you leverage the step one training channel if you have questions. So I wanted to bring that to your attention. Thanks, Andrew, for sharing uh, how to do that. And then moving on. Thanks, Ready. Oh, uh, Ben Venema, he answered my question. I was asking, how long does it take? Like, how, you know, we always, as engineers, when we're automating things, sometimes if you're like me, you ask the question, like how long should I actually spend on automating this before there's like a diminishing, before I'm spending longer automating it than I'm actually saving. And so Ben shared this like chart here that shows how long the automation task, how many seconds or minutes it will save you versus how often do you do that task? Like five times a day, every day, every week or every month. And in, in, in this truth chart, it actually shows you how long you can reasonably spend, you know, you could reasonably spend one day to automate a task that takes you six hours every year. So I don't know, maybe like doing your taxes. <laughs> so if you wanted to spend 24 hours to like write some script to automate the doing of your taxes, well, actually, that'd probably save you maybe a little bit more than six hours, but I digress. <laughs> thanks. <laughs> thanks for sharing that, Ben. Let me know if you guys have ever run into that question where you're like, you spend more time automating something than it actually saves you. I know I do that all the time. All right, I think we got two more questions here and then we'll uh, see if there's any questions in the live chat. Rory said, I've been working on a really interesting project using Ignition and MQTT as a command and control platform for unmanned sea survey vessels. That's really cool. He'd like to hear other people's thoughts on the best approaches to create a secure Azure virtual network for Ignition, databases, etc. Actually, let me show this. Uh, so actually what, what I would show, let me just show you here what you could do, let's say you wanted to have um, Azure hosting your SCADA. Here's what I would do. And um, Javier actually chimed in. He, he shared a tip. He said, you want to make sure that you'll have at least eight gigabytes of RAM for your ignition VM if you're running it on Azure. But specifically to his questions about having uh, private networks, what you could do is you could have uh, essentially a sandbox for your Azure network. 
And think of your, uh, think of this SCADA, think of this as your ignition VM. So let's call it IGN. You definitely want to have that as a VM that you'll want to expose one of the network adapters publicly. So we'll just have that there. In the background, you can have your database. So this IGN would have like two network adapters, one public, one private. You could have your DB, your ignition backed database here, things that ignition is using to store uh, data into. You could have that as a separate VM. Let me just show this like this. And then uh, ignition could just connect to that DB because the DB doesn't need to access the external network. So that would be a secure way to, uh, you know, only expose this, only expose this portion of the ignition out and then have your database kind of isolated. You could do that. Um, but then you would have to like remote desktop to this server in order to configure this VM. That's one way you could do it. Um, if you wanted to have this database now, now, but the, but what I do want to point out here is if you do this, any data that you store in the database here, you're going to want to also publish it back to the unified namespace. What does that mean? Well, you can take SQL data and you can query it and write it into a unified namespace in an ISA 95 format using, um, using an edge node application, like using a simple Python script. Uh, one of the things that we published to the unified namespace uh, is like 30 last, last hour of data set. You'll see this right here. Let me make this bigger. So for example, if you had that architecture where your ignition database is kind of it's almost kind of like a data silo. In order to not have a data silo, you want to take any data that you store there and make it accessible back through the unified namespace, either through directly through querying through ignition or by publishing data sets back into the namespace. So here we published the last hour of data. So it could be like 60, 60 samples, one every minute. So we published a 60, you know, 60 value timestamp array of data set here. So that way anyone in the unified namespace can just query this one tag. They don't need to query the entire historian. They get access to it in real time. That was one of the main topics of this last mastermind was how do you architect the historian to be able to leverage unified namespace? And uh, we happened to work with Canary to be able to do that. Uh, so that's, Canary has a really good MQTT uh, driver. Uh, so that was what we showed you guys how to do last, last Friday. Let me move on to the last question here. Yeah, so that would be my approach. Um, well, let me actually, uh, let me, uh, Yeah, so that would be my approach is, um, you know, make that make the database because there's not you, you, you don't want to make direct connections to the database because then you're creating a discrete connection. You want to kind of force yourself to route everything through the UNS. Uh, so last question here, General Andrew, thanks for bumping this question. Uh, specifically, he asked, is there any outdoor rated remote camera monitoring systems? in general, let me put that here. So if anyone in general knows 
if there's any re outdoor rated remote camera monitoring systems, if you, you know, you work for a distributor, you know, that product, drop it in the chat. Uh, thanks Andrew for bumping that question. I personally don't know of any like industrial ones. I do like uh, ubiquity, but there's always been uh, debate on whether or not ubiquity is truly a, like a industrial product or if it's, you know, kind of prosumer, a consumer product. So, um, but JS said NVR VMS with IP cameras is the way to go. Gentech, Vercata, and Avil Gilan have solid VMS offerings. I like genetic and axis cameras. Genetic has a strong integration capabilities and tends to have the least bolted on functionality, but it has a learning curve. Axis makes all sorts of cameras for different physical environments and are widely supported. Ignition has an IP camera module with drivers for major IP cameras brands such as Axis, and this can be embedded into a vision screen. And he said, check out IPVM.com. They have all sorts of comparisons on VMS cameras, et cetera. Requires a subscription, but they actually conduct their own research and tests. And then Ira chimed in. He agrees with this and he thinks that the changing of the guard will have a big impact on things. The generational, oh, this was uh, Ira chiming into uh, Walker responding to the concept of OEMs uh, getting data from their customers to improve their products and whether or not manufacturers would be okay with this. So like if a manufacturer bought a packaging machine, you know, and it had pack IOT embedded on it, would that manufacturer be okay with pack IOT getting some of that data and improving their software to make better suggestions to the operator to improve the process over time? Kind of like how Tesla <laughs> makes their AI software updates better over time. And what Walker said is basically, you can mitigate the risk of, of that fear by obfuscating the data. So for example, the data, the, the data uh, lake that PacIoT would collect from all of its customers from around the world, they could obfuscate it. So it's like customer, uh, some hash, it doesn't actually say who the customer is, but it's obfuscating the name of the customer, but it's using the data to make the process or the software more efficient. And um, yeah, so he said, Walker said, you can mitigate the fear through obfuscation of the data, which is in practice today by many OEMs without the end user's knowledge. <laughs> That's funny. Pro tip for you there. The market will drive this innovation along with the changing of the guard. To any young engineer who works for this traditional blue chip, ask them what they think about the organization's use of technology to unlock the potential of this edge data. They will roll their eyes at you. Oh, you gotta, you gotta talk to this guy. We don't have access to that data. You gotta go buy this piece of software. The new generation's not gonna accept these excuses. Those disenchanted young en engineers and analysts will, be in, will soon be in charge rather than later and the floodgates will open. And that's where Ira said he agrees with the changing of the guard. It'll have a big impact on things. The generational difference between those ready to retire and those who are next in line to be in charge is big. It's almost as big as the industry is the difference between industry 3.0 and industry 4.0. This will change the approach to data control networking, among other things. 
does this mean we are in a stalemate until this changes? IMO, in some cases, yes, but I hope this is the minority versus the majority. What a great way to bring it back to our, our mission. This is why we're doing this, to change the way people think, to educate the community. Um, there was a, someone shared an article about what is industry 5.0. Guys, if you guys are reading articles like that, just be aware. Some of these articles are designed to confuse you. People were sharing marketing industry 4.0 without actually ever giving a goal of industry 4.0 or how to actually achieve it. So it, it makes sense why some people are saying industry 5.0 now because they didn't even know what industry 4.0 actually was. A lot of people are saying industry 5.0 is putting a focus back on people, but they're just saying that now because of COVID. We've been saying for two plus years all along that people were important in the transformation of industry 4.0. All your people, your machines and your software, treat them as nodes in an ecosystem. <sighs> Off my soapbox. <laughs> All right, guys, if you guys have any more questions, uh, join the Discord. Thank you guys so much. Um, let me pull up the YouTube chat here and just say bye to everyone. Zach Wooten, thank you. Can someone explain the concept of the war room? Great question, yes. So let me just share that real quick here. So the war room is actually, it's actually like a conference room. It's always on. You can just click it to join in. Um, you can do video. You can do audio. We can go up to 25 people. Um, there's a lot of cool things that we could do. I mean, we could actually have like a clubhouse or something like that where, you know, 25 or, you know, more of us get in a group. Um, I think it's 25 limited for video participants, but yeah, uh, we created this war room specifically for our mentees working on the mentorship program, but I imagine it evolving into much more than that, like actually developing projects together. You know, like I said, we just crossed a thousand. Well, now we have a thousand and fifty members on the dot, thousand and fifty four if you count bots. If you think about it like that, we're actually industry 4.0 community discord server is like a virtual system integrator. And, you know, our mastermind, our mentorship community, 150 people, like, I mean, that puts industry us as one of the largest system integrators and most powerful and agile on the planet. So the war room is going to be the place where people in our mentorship community, people in our mastermind community get together and, and hack and develop solutions. You know, it's starting by just people working on the mentorship step one practical test, but it's going to continue into the collaboration that drives industry and innovation that drives innovation in industry and empowers all of the members of the community discord server um up at the top there is it also it empowers the the spontaneous conversation if everyone was in the same room really because they share the audio yes so definitely um if you guys aren't in the mentorship program we do have the public general chat which you guys can join up here. Feel free to co you know coordinate that. Hey, uh, you just drop in there. Some people hang out there. Some people just hang out in there while they're working, and then you could drop in and say hello. And so that's that's what this whole idea is about. Is um, I don't know if you guys have really been following, but if you have, you'll notice that the conversations happening each and every day is getting to be more and more to the point where the community Discord server is really starting to take on a life of its own. So it's really exciting. Now's the time to join. Thanks for asking that question, uh, Zach. Hey, Rafi. Hey, Phil. Where 
were the examples shared? Discord, yes. Home, yeah, uh, Dan Riken, yep. The the war room is the home for those doing the step one practical. So we're all remoting into one OS. Yes, Zach, it's like a video call. Thanks, GoPal. All right, guys. Uh let's we are right on time. Thanks for joining, and uh we will see you guys next week. Peace. Thanks, guys. Thank you. Bye.